Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Lanza para poner por delante al Arsenal, Alexis, por el centro, la euforia en Eliminates, los Gunners 2-1. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog, a last minute late, heart stopping, goodly morning to you. Oh, all of that. All of that and the rest. <laughs> have you recovered yet? Uh, have I recovered? That's a, that's a good question. Honestly, for about 10, 15 minutes after the game ended, I was just sitting on the sofa, not quite knowing what to say or to do. And I think I just sort of went, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, fuck it, Jesus, a few times. And I think it's a sentiment shared by a number of people. Um, it's a, it's quite early to get into tweets and stuff like this, but I, I, uh, this one was sent to me uh, by Mr. Idiot at uh, Mr. Idiot Wind on Twitter. And he says uh, to both of us, took my sons to the game. At the end, one was pale-faced and said, my knees are really shaking. Am I going to be okay? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know how his son felt, I must confess. I felt very similar myself. Yeah. Uh, w- wow, yeah, wow, what an introduction to uh, to supporting Arsenal that would be. Absolutely, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't quite fully <laughs> recovered or grasped, you know, the entirety of what went on. Uh, that I mean, all of it seemed to be caught up in, particularly in that stoppage time period, and I don't know if I was the only person in the stadium who thought this, but when the amount of time went up on the board, I was... I couldn't believe it. I had no concept that anything like that was going to be added on. Yeah, I do too. But in hindsight, there was the stoppage for the injury for the guy that that fouled Mesut Ozil. If you remember, they had to get a stretcher to take him on. So maybe that was three minutes or something like that. And then there were substitutions. And, and you know, it it felt, though, I agree with you, at the the moment when the board went up with seven minutes, I was like, what the fuck? Where where did seven minutes come from? Because you're 1-0 up and you're obviously... Uh, trying to hang on uh, in the end though it turned out to be a very handy seven minutes um, yeah a, a remarkable seven minutes another couple of little tweets in here from people who uh, use Fitbits and, and those kind of um, health trackers and, and Christina um, uh, tweeted at me last night to say that uh, I bought a Fitbit that measures your pulse and it went fat burn when we got the penalty because her pulse was so high the Fitbit assumed that she was doing some like high cardio exercise so she's like burning fat and uh, Mark Thompson was exactly the same uh, you know his his heart rate went fucking through the roof his heartbeat was like resting heartbeat was 61 beats per minute and it was up at nearly 141 beats per minute again his Fitbit is telling him fat burn in those last Last seven minutes, which were just bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Well, we'd like to thank Arsenal for our collective weight loss. All that, all that Christmas <laughs> tummy being shifted in those last seven minutes. Yeah, wow. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was a bit of a scary one for the heart. Hopefully, everyone came through it all right. But I, uh, I just, I mean, 
look, it's one of those as well where the the final moments of the game are so dramatic that it almost obliterates everything that came before. You know, it's like the the game itself was fairly eventful. Actually, yeah. it's all cast in the shadow of those final few moments. Uh, yeah, that's very true. And well, look, I think it was it, w- it was clearly an eventful afternoon. Not just those final seven minutes, but there was a lot packed into that. And I have to say, when I was watching it and they scored, I was like, "Oh, fucking hell!" But there was just a little part of me that thought, "You know what? It's so mental that it would mm. be just like us to to get a winning goal somehow." Um, so it wasn't even a surprise to me. I mean, it was it was brilliant, and it was like holy shit when we got the penalty. But it was just everything had been so bonkers in that last five or six minutes, those last minutes of injury time, that it just was like okay, yeah. I mean, look, if a spaceship had come down and landed on the pitch, and a guy in a you know wearing green or a little green man had come out and scored a goal for us, I wouldn't have really been that surprised by that either. It was just any. <laughs> it felt like anything could happen. Yeah, it did. It was it was absolutely crazy, and and you know, nice, especially with a referee like that in charge, who always you feel like might have one final sort of plot twist in store <laughs> to ensure that he's the man talked about after the game. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, in, in a funny sort of way that that benefited us too. It did. So look, where 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 do we start? How do we how do we start with this? Do we go back to the beginning? Go back to the first half? I guess. Go back to the, the unveiling of the doggy banners, I, I guess. Yeah, though. sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. Let's do that. Let's do that. That was a nice start to the day. I mean, actually, I would, I would be honest, like, it seems mad to say this now, given the, the cauldron of atmosphere that it was at full time and the passion that Arsene Wenger was showing on the sidelines. But my impression at the ground in the first half was that it was, everything was pretty tepid. You know, Arsenal were playing some decent stuff, but mm. there was a bit of intensity lacking on the pitch and in the stands, it yeah. was like um, it felt like a, it felt like an early kickoff, which I guess it was. Yeah, I guess so. I did notice you tweet about that a couple of times, saying it felt uh, very quiet at the Emirates and, mm. and uh, hinting perhaps that they were turning it up for television. But there were moments where you could just, uh, you know, the game was going on, and you could just hear this in the background, like. Which, of course, is Sean Dyche <laughs> screaming yeah. his head off on the sidelines. You could hear him very, very clearly, uh, you know, shouting. Well, I, I don't really know what he was saying. I couldn't decipher anything other than the noise of it. But you could hear it very clearly. Um, and they like developed said, their own language, I think, Burnley. <laughs> A secret uh, code. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a quiet uh, first half, I guess. And I think early kickoffs do have a ten- tendency to do that to to an extent. But you know, it was two o'clock, quarter past two not necessarily a, a 12 o'clock either but you know there was there was plenty going on in the first half I think we had 14 attempts on goal uh, we probably should have scored one or two of them um, Burnley were a bit more adventurous than I thought they'd be yeah they were sort of a little bit dangerous on the break weren't they there were a mm. few occasions when Petr was called into action uh, and I, I don't know they're just on the break I sort of thought the pace of Gray gave them something, so it, it, it wasn't. I'd say it wasn't quite on a knife edge, but it was on. I don't know the edge of something, something slightly less sharp and dangerous than a knife. Uh, a fence. Yeah, a fence edge. The game was on a fence edge. <laughs> We've invented a new thing here now. Um, teetering, teetering. Yes. Look, I think we were pretty much the better team. 
we had more of the ball, we had more attempts on goal. I think we were trying to uh, assert ourselves on the game a bit more than they were. And their their tactic of of uh, pressing us when uh, quite high up the pitch, you know, to try and force the defenders to go long, uh, I thought we coped with that pretty well. We just passed it around them, kept the ball very well. Uh, and our finishing was, uh, throughout the game, I think, a little wayward. Um, there were opportunities that, that we could have put away. So then uh, we're into the second half. Uh, pressure was on. I think we started very brightly in the second half. We had some, some early shots. Monreal had one. Alexis had one. Uh, Ramsey tried to scorpion one in uh, when Giroud just headed it behind him very slightly. And we should have had a penalty. Yeah, for the foul of Mustafi, you mean? Yep. That was a definite penalty. I mean, I'd say it was, yeah... Maybe the most clear-cut penalty of the day, actually. Well, I think uh, Cockerlands was, <laughs> was pretty clear-cut as yeah, well. Yeah, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, that was a, a very frustrating award. I mean, could you even see why the referee didn't give it? It wasn't clear in the ground, but, is, you know, was there someone blocking his view or anything like um, that? Not that I could see. I mean, I think the assistant was looking right at it. He was right in front mm. of it. The referee, as far as I, I can remember, had a good view of it. Um... I do wonder if it was a case that because he was running away from goal uh, and running, I guess, out of the penalty area, whether he thought... I don't know what he thought. I don't know why he couldn't give that as a penalty. It was as obvious a foul. Like, if that had happened anywhere else on the pitch, he would have given a free kick for it, right? I guess. Absolutely, yeah. It was a very, very clear foul. Mm. And at that point in the game, it was a... It was a frustrating decision for the referee, but it, that was sort of the trailer, really, for what was to follow. So uh, we needn't have worried too much. But I, so was it quite shortly after that that we actually got the goal and went ahead? Yeah, I think two minutes, something like that. Uh, corner. Yeah. Uh, Mesut Ozil swung the corner in, and Mustafi headed it into the into the far corner. A fairly a fairly simple goal. Yeah, it was so simple, and his celebration was so. Uh, what's the word? Uh, relaxed that mm. I initially thought oh it's come off a defender because it just you know it just was so kind of chilled out the whole affair but it was actually a good delivery and a, a really good header I yeah. mean you know perfectly diverted into the corner mm. keeper no chance I enjoy that celebration you know it's there's no need to go knee sliding around good uh, yeah. good look look what I did that's fine let's get on with the game kind of celebration I, I think there should be more of those but that's a, that's a side issue uh, yeah good goal and you know I think it, when the referee denies you a penalty and then you respond by heading in uh, the opening goal you, you've got to give uh, credit to Mustafi for that then of course we come to Granite Xhaka and, uh, and the red uh, card Granite. I'm going to let you yeah. go first on this one what, what, what do you make of it I've, I've, I sense from what I saw you tweeting that you're a bit more frustrated by him than I am. I am, I am. Only because uh, I do like him. You know, I do think he's a very good player. Mm. And I feel like there have been these setbacks in his Arsenal career. Now, initially, obviously, the, the previous sending off, no, notable that it was from the same referee, mm. uh, was, I thought, extremely harsh, really. Yeah. Um, this one, I thought I could understand why it was given. I, I, it's sort of a cliche, but I feel like it's kind of an orangey card. You know, you could see it as a yellow, but I don't think this ref ever would give it a yellow. Uh, I think he gave the ref an opportunity to mm. send him off, basically. Mm. And I, I, I the, the reason I'm so irritated by it yesterday is that I actually thought he was having a really good game. And yeah. I think I even 
jinxed it by saying on Twitter that defensively he'd been really good. Like he he stays on his feet and wins the ball very cleanly most of the time. Mm. But it's when he goes to ground that I think he has a bit of a problem. I don't think he's technically a great tackler on the ground. Um, but I, don't, I haven't seen enough of that to know that's the case, but it feels like when he goes to ground, there is an element of clumsiness that can yeah. make things look a bit uglier than they are. Mm. Yeah, I mean... What's, look, your, I, what's your point of view? Look, I think it was it was careless from him, A, to give the ball away in the first place, and then to go in the way that he did... Uh, considering where he was on the pitch, etc., etc., you know, stay on your feet. Uh, I think that's the the big lesson that he has to learn in those situations. Stay on your feet. You just you know, try and tackle or jockey the man. There was no need really to jump in. I guess that he was just trying to to win the ball. And I, you know, I can see why people are frustrated by it. But I just think that the criticism of him has been a bit over the top. I think. Did you watch match of the day too last night? I didn't actually. No. Right, so they they pretty much did a hatchet job on him uh, between uh, Danny Murphy and Martin Keown. Keown was g- quite critical of him as well, but did say that he's you know he's working under the right manager to get that out of his game. Um, but you know, I, I think he's been more unlucky than reckless this season for me. A little bit impetuous. You know, I'm not saying that he doesn't have something to learn. He clearly does. And Arsene Wenger said afterwards, you know, we want our midfielders to stay on their feet. We don't. We don't encourage them to go sliding in. You know, sliding yeah. in is really the last ditch uh, option. You know, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the the thing you choose to do in, in those circumstances. So I'm not trying to make any excuses for that. I do think the red was a little bit on the harsh side. The first one against Swansea I think is one of the most ridiculous red cards I've ever seen I've never seen a player sent off for that before and I haven't seen a player sent off for that since uh, considering where he was on the pitch or anything else so I think he's very unlucky there I think the penalty against Stoke was unlucky Um, he can have no complaints about the penalty he gave away against Bournemouth And, and like you I think the frustration for me comes from the fact that he looked like he was really growing into the team over the last few weeks. I thought he was probably our best player yesterday uh, before the card. Uh, His passing was fantastic. Like you, I think his defending was fantastic. He was really switched on. He was aware. He was chasing back. He was tracking runs. He was making sure that he was there to cover. There was one moment when Mustafi got caught completely the wrong side of Gray, I think it was, and was uh, was in a, a difficult situation. Xhaka got back and bailed him out. Again, I think with a tackle where he he had to slide along the ground, but again there was a touch of last ditch to that. So I think um, he I think he's been unlucky, and and for a guy who hasn't really committed a terrible foul this season, who hasn't really picked up any more yellow cards than you would expect a normal central midfield player to pick up. I think Ramsey has the same amount of yellow cards in you know, the much much fewer games. You know, to miss seven games of the season because of two red cards, I think is harsh for, for, the, for, the, for the offenses that he has committed. And I know people say, look, you can't, you can't hold up what other people get away with uh, as an excuse for him, and I accept that completely. But when you see Marcus Rojo go in with two, two feet, like leaping in and, and not picking up a red card... Uh, that he thoroughly deserves. When you see other players get away with elbowing our players in the face, when you see 
it's the lack of consistency, I guess, across uh, the officiating that really becomes a frustration for me. And it feels to me like he's he's had his card marked. It's an easy narrative to say Jack is a dirty player. Look at all the red cards that he's got, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily backed up by what we've seen from him. And much in the same way that the crazy seven minutes at the end of the game overshadowed what had happened in the previous 90 minutes, I think the red card has overshadowed a lot of what Xhaka did yesterday in terms of how well he played, uh, how important he's becoming to the team, and the performances that he's put in over the last number of weeks. I think he's become a really uh, important part of the team. And... uh, I think it's just a real shame he's going to be missing now for four games. It is a real shame. And and you can understand why it overshadows it, really, because it's, you know, four games is such a long time to be out at mm. a time where, you know, we're hoping that Arsenal's season may have been, you know, potentially reignited by this kind of result. And yeah. I, I, yeah, he was settling in alongside Ramsey. It leaves us in a position where we're looking at going back to Ramsey and Cochrane, which mm. is a partnership that hasn't had great success in the past. I, uh, I think he's a. I sensed in Arsene Wenger's press conference that Arsene Wenger it f- has a similar frustration to to any Arsenal fan, really, because he obviously admires Shaka as a player. You wouldn't pay that kind of money for somebody if you didn't. Mm. Uh, but he he clearly feels there is kind of a, a degree of straightening out to be done still. Yeah. That uh, that, uh, that impetuous nature, or I, I mean, what happened yesterday really is is about correcting a mistake, isn't it? It's about his. Uh, desire to prevent a uh, counter-attack opportunity. Yeah. But I guess there's got to be a more, in a, funny, funny, in a funny way, a kind of more cynical way of doing it. You know, a way of doing it where you can still make that foul, but it's not quite as uh, aggressive. Well, I mean, sure, yeah. Do you think yeah. it had anything to do with that um, flashpoint he had in the first half with the same player? Maybe. Or do you think it's too quick a decision to, to include that? Maybe. I mean, look, if it... Uh... He probably would have gone that way, gone in that way on everybody or whoever the Burnley player was, you know. So from that point of view, I'm I'm not sure it was it was really relevant. But yeah, you know, you look at uh, what happened in the Liverpool Manchester United game a couple of weeks ago. Remember when I think it was Firmino going through and Herrera just hung on to his jersey. So, I mean, maybe that's what you need to do if you're going to get bypassed and if you definitely want to stop the, the move uh, progressing, then, then you know, do a bit of that, be a bit more sensible. But at the same time, you know, we've been accused down the years of being far too soft and, and uh, you know, I think we look back sometimes with uh, rose-tinted glasses on some of the red cars that we picked up in the past. Like, you know, oh, it's great because, you know, they were hard men when they picked up red cards. You know, Vieira was a hard man when he picked up a red card. Bergkamp was spiteful and uh, nasty, and we liked that when he picked up a red card. Same with Martin Keown. You know, these players who, who, who did get sent off, but very often for really fucking stupid things. You know, yeah, yeah. so it, it's trying to find that balance. So Jack is being judged very harshly, I think, based on what's happened uh, this season. Um, maybe, when, maybe when you're still trying to prove yourself as a player, maybe that's the difference. That you know the other players had a bit of a weight of reputation as a player, and Jack is still integrating himself into the team. So there's probably not the same amount of forgiveness. But it did put us in a very difficult situation for the last whatever it was, twenty five, twenty eight minutes, including injury time. Yeah, it's an awkward one, isn't it? When you're one nil up, you're down to ten men. You don't know if you should be sitting back and protecting that lead, letting the opposition come on to you, or mm. trying to force the game still. Um, 
I mean, Cockland came on and, funnily enough, was actually was sort of doing all right until until that stoppage time mm. uh, pff, moment of I don't know. I mean, you know, all the all the criticisms you level at Xhaka have to be leveled at Cockland really for that, don't they? I mean, he just hung a leg out in a way that was pretty needless at that point. In yeah, box. yeah. I mean, the ball is bouncing around, but you've got to be much more switched on than that defensively in your own box. You give the guy, you know, a chance to. A chance to to go over. I mean, it was a nailed on penalty, no question. It was careless. It was uh, silly defending from Coquelin, and uh, you know, I think uh, I think if people are going to be critical of Xhaka for his red card, then let's be critical of Coquelin as well for for costing us uh, a penalty that really could have proved very damaging to to the rest of this season. Yeah, yeah, and Arsene Wenger none none too happy about it on the touchline. What did you make of all that of his uh, altercation with the fourth official? Uh, well, I don't know why he was sent off was it something that he said to Anthony Taylor I guess and Anthony Taylor then went and told John Moss was that what happened it seems that way yeah because he he was certainly sent away I think before the cameras got to him you know he'd Mm. been effectively dismissed and then the 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 incident with the the fourth official happened in the is it Anthony Taylor Um, yeah that was actually like almost in the tunnel itself it was yeah well look I mean the first thing that I would say there is that nobody likes a telltale and Anthony, <laughs> you know, Anthony Taylor, uh, are we to are we to believe that uh, throughout the game when Sean Dyche was going bananas at pretty much everything, are we to believe that what Arsene Wenger said uh, to Anthony Taylor in the heat of that moment was was any worse? Was it really worthy of a red card or sending off? I mean, off? in a way, I sort of hope it was. <laughs> I hope he said something absolutely horrific. Oh yeah, sort of. Because I find that idea funny. Um, but uh yeah you're absolutely right i mean i guess it's the i guess it's the context isn't it it's it's after the decision i mean i always feel like whenever uh, a manager's sent away what they've probably done is implied uh, the referee is a bent or crooked in some way <laughs> ah yeah all that yeah 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 probably um, probably um you question know. their integrity surely the 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 thing i think there must be like ah oh, well that's the the line because they yeah. They shout all sorts of abuse the whole game, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Who knows? I mean, the stuff that they must say to the fourth officials, you know, in, in, in the games, not just Arsene Wenger, obviously, but, uh, you know, all the managers do it. So it must have been something quite egregious. And then, of course, he went down the tunnel and Anthony Taylor was trying to get him to go further down the tunnel. And there was a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a push. I think it was a, not really a push. He just sort of gently put his hands on him. But I think there is a line that managers can't really cross, and, and that's that line, you know? Whatever we might like to do to Anthony Taylor if he tried to shove us down the tunnel, the manager has to be above that, I think, you yeah. know? I mean, I saw a headline just before we start recording about a potential six-game ban. Six I mean, that games? Seems God, that seemed, was this the Keith Hackett excessive. story? Ah, uh, yeah, might have been. Might yeah, have been. I mean, he's a fucking dick, that guy. Anyway, so I mean, if they're going to give him a six-game ban, he might as well have nutted him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he might as well have <laughs> punched the guy out for that. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm sure there will be repercussions. Arson was uh, unusually sheepish about it afterwards. I think. I mm. think he was like very quickly realised. I mean, he's a man of great experience. He knows that that's sort of not on, really. Yeah, uh, but understandable. I mean, I felt. Similarly, to be honest with you, watching the game, I felt I, I empathised with his reaction because it, it, I think it's it's 
It's frustra- it was frustration out of the team, really, that spilled out onto the officials. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think when, you know, if he'd looked at it again and he'd seen the, the, the challenge from Coquelin, the frustration was not necessarily at the officials' decision, but at, at, at the award of a penalty at that stage of a game when it looks like you're going to hang on and then it looks like you're going to drop two points. So his, his wording in the press conference was interesting. He was asked about the penalty decision, and he said, uh, "Cockland pretends he didn't touch him, but I don't know." Yeah, I do wonder and if that's I, a, is that a difference between a French verb and uh, and an English verb that, that hasn't come be, across. It, I think it must mean something about you know it must be something like he as in like pretension, like as in he he claims he claims yeah like that. But yeah, uh, anyway, it was a penalty. Is the point? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, pretend in in French apparently means claim. So oh, there you go. So there you go. We've got that worked out. So uh, yeah, still a, still a nice phrase. Uh, the dude stepped up, uh, scored the penalty straight down the middle. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we, the same. yeah, we, <laughs> we might uh, we might touch on that in the question. So we, we'll we'll come back to that. So it's one one. There's three minutes or so left of the game, and you're thinking, well, fuck. This is uh, this is not ideal because there was no way you could see Chelsea dropping points. Then, of course, we go up the other end and get a penalty ourselves. Can I ask you this? Why is it that raking your studs down another player's face is not a red card? Why was that not? If he's given it as a penalty and it's dangerous play to stick your boot in another player's face, why is that not a red card? I don't know, but the, uh, but by the same token, you don't really see that given, do you? You never really. But didn't Van I mean, Persie Dyche... get sent off for that oh, one? Remember in the Champions oh, League, yeah. I think Van Persie had a high foot, and it was quite high indeed. But I mean, it was a genuine attempt to go for the ball, much like much like the guy nanny. There was a nanny incident, wasn't there as well? Yeah, you know. But if you look at it, the guy is literally leaping through the air, leading with his studs, and his studs are basically five and a half feet off the ground because she only dips his head a little bit to try and head the ball but the uh you know his head is much closer to the ball than the guy's studs which should be on the floor so i don't understand why that isn't a red card as well i mean if jackers is a red card fuck that you know yeah yeah uh did he get booked the guy got no idea i've got no idea Mm. um i'll just go to the match report but yeah so uh, an amazing uh, set of what was going to be an amazing um, finale to the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's interesting. Sean Dyche in his post-match press conference was like, uh, well, if that's a foul, I don't understand why the whistle wasn't blown when Olivier Giroud attempted a bicycle kick uh, in the first half. That was his perspective on it. He was like, if, if it's a foul to have your foot that high, then that should apply at all times. Uh, um, yeah, but Giroud's... Giroud's- Foot wasn't studs first uh, raking down the face of 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 an opponent. So there's the well, difference. I guess, yeah, I think this. I think the direction of the stud makes a big difference. That makes a difference in all tackles, right? Like if someone sure. goes in, you know, lace first as opposed to stud first, it's a very different challenge. Whether that's on the ground mm. or in the air. Um, so I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I think. I mean, what I would say is that it is offside, isn't it? He was offside when the ball was played in, 
um, but moved back right. onside. So you could make the point that he wasn't moving towards the ball when the ball was being played in. Is that not the you know the crazy stuff with with offside? I don't know. I mean, I, I've only seen a couple of replays of it, but it looked to me that when the cross came in, he was off, and then as soon as he attempts to go anywhere near the ball, mm. that that should be the flag up. Okay. I mean, I'm not complaining, obviously. No, no, I mean, the thing that I would like to point out at this moment in time is that I do not give a fucking shit whether he was offside or not. <laughs> I couldn't care less. Really couldn't care less. And the fact, actually, I mean, that he was a bit offside, I enjoy it. It made Burnley oh, yeah. fans even more unhappy. There were lots of them on Twitter last night being very chippy with me, actually, uh, which was which was very funny. Um, like they, well, I think <laughs> you know, any sense that it wasn't justified, you need to refer back. I mean, I forgot about it in the immediate aftermath of the game, but that Mustafi incident where we should have had a very very clear penalty earlier in the half. You know, mm. these things do even themselves out. It transpires. So, <laughs> um, isn't, isn't, after all these years, that cliche turned out to be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the space of 90 minutes. So, no, I, I, look, I was obviously over the moon with the award. And then, I mean, it was the question of who's going to take it, really. You were looking around the pitch. What we always say about this Arsenal team, mm. no obvious penalty taken. Well, you know, did, uh, did you did you notice Aaron Ramsey going up to, to have a word with Alexis? The two oh, of them, I didn't see that. The no. two of them were there, and I was thinking, oh, no, Aaron, please. Like, if we were going to miss this penalty, at least there would be some forgiveness for Alexis. Like, Alexis could get away with missing that penalty. Uh, you know, nobody would be happy about it, but people would say, well, you know, Alexis has done a lot for it. If Ramsey had uh, taken that penalty and missed it, uh, I think oh, he probably. <laughs> I think they would have been chasing him down the fucking down the road to you know hang him up. But uh, it, you know, Alexis, I looked at it and went, oh. and they put up that graphic. Did you see that? They put up the graphic. I saw that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of red dots <laughs> yeah, on that graphic. It was like one one penalty went in and just lots of like. Oh, I was thinking, oh my god, what is he going to do? What is he going <laughs> to do here? He's not the most convincing penalty taker uh, that that we've ever seen. Uh, but fuck me, what a brilliant way to score it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the one dot that had gone in, I noticed in that graphic, was pretty much straight down the middle. Mm. And he went that direction again, but so nonchalant. And the sliding celebration underneath the banner of his dogs, I mean, it couldn't have been more perfect. Woof. Yes, that was the only way to, as James Richardson would say, woof. I, uh, I, I'm really hoping that someone out there's got a photo of Alexis sliding with the, the dogs above him. I'm desperately searching for that. But I, uh, yeah, he, I mean, look, it's funny. He had a funny game, I thought, Alexis. He tried to make things happen. He was busy, but his finishing was a little bit wayward, fired over a couple of times. Yeah. Could hit the target. But, you know, I mean, he, when he plays at the moment, I feel like there's this thing of he's not really happy until he's got his goal. He's, there's a real drive in him to score goals at the yeah. moment. And I think that it was as much that in the celebration as the as the relief and the three points. Yeah. No, it was it was great. And you can see how much he enjoyed it. Uh, you know, there was some nice hugs with Giroud after the game uh, that, that were captured on camera. He, he looked like a guy who, who just really enjoyed that moment. And why wouldn't you? I mean, Jesus, the balls to, to do what he did um, when it comes to taking that penalty, you know, because you're thinking, well, look, the very least I should do is make it really difficult for the goalkeeper to save. Uh, you know, that's hitting it hard, that's hitting it low. And I thought he was going to go, like, down low to the goalkeeper's right, which is where the goalkeeper dived. 
Um, mm. But no, I mean, fantastic, fantastic. Um, and wasn't it a stark contrast? I guess, so I just start contrast to his mood at the end of the Swansea game. You yeah. know, maybe showing that you can't, you can't take everything at face value in that respect. No, exactly, exactly. You know, there was a couple of, was it a couple of years ago that uh, Cazorla scored a, a penalty like that and some of the pundits mm. were saying, oh, it's very disrespectful to score a penalty like that uh, because I think it was against the young goalkeepers if that had some bearing on it or, or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, just just brilliant. And obviously, given what else happened this weekend a huge three points for us because pretty much everybody apart from Chelsea they drop points yeah I mean the, the terror was that it was about to be a perfect weekend for Chelsea wasn't it mm. I mean, when we were looking like we were going to drop points too you thought oh well this is the, the weekend where they effectively win it but mm. uh, suddenly we're in second place I mean odd isn't it you know it's so tight up there it can change so quickly and the fixtures I guess have favoured us in that a lot of the big teams have played each other yeah. and we have had this decent run of games where we can pick up points um, so yeah I mean look we, we've said it time and time again but all eyes really on that Chelsea game at the start of February it's just a shame that we know we're going to lose a, a key player for that one in Granite Xhaka. Yeah, and we don't know if we're going to have Mohamed El Neni back for that one either. Uh, as Egypt are still involved in the African Cup of Nations, they've got a game which could see them top their group and go into the knockout stages. I think the first knockout uh, round is on the 29th of January. So depending on what happens in that one, he could be back. But whether he's you know fit and ready to play after being away, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, look, it, it is what it is. We've got to get on with it. And in some ways, it feels familiar. But also, I, I think we've... Uh I think we've often thrived, you know, when things have gone against us and we've had to dig in and find solutions. It's, it's, uh, it's sometimes worked out quite well for us. We just have to wait and see now what, what happens with the manager because I think a touchline ban of some sort is, is inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, I think it has to be. And I, I do understand why, of course, you know, you've got to set an example. And in some ways, you know, when it's someone at the very top of the game, mm. it's more necessary. Um, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. I mean, Steve Bold, I think, will be taking charge of a couple of games. Let's just hope they're not not the biggest ones. Mm. Uh, I, I, I mean, the thing is about this late goal yesterday, it really... I mentioned this on my sort of post-match um, video thing, but I, it really reminded me in some respects of the, the Leicester game last season, and it comes at yeah. a sort of similar point in the campaign. I know that Burnley are a different level of opposition to what Leicester were at that time it's not like they're in the title race mm. alongside us but uh, you can't ever feel like th th those you talked about adversity and how out of difficult moments good things can come and the fact that we dragged ourselves to three points yesterday but it does feel significant doesn't it I can't work out if this team are have something really special about them because they keep getting late goals mm. and late wins or if they just aren't that, aren't that great and that's why they need those things. Do you know what I mean? I think it's probably a little from column A, a little from column B. You know, I don't think, and we spoke about it before, you cannot do what we've done this season in terms of the late goals that we've scored, the points that we've gained, the games that we've won or the games that we've drawn by scoring really late goals. You don't do it that often by accident. And there has to be something about, A, the, the, the physical setup of the team, how fit they are to be able to keep going until the 98th minute, for example. Um, there's, there's something there about the character of the team. As, as frustrating as Bournemouth was, it's very rare that teams come from 3-0 down to get anything from a game in the Premier League, regardless of the opposition. 
and there have been other games where we've scored late and kept going and kept going and and just been a bit relentless, which which hasn't always been the case with this Arsenal side. So I think that's I think it is a, a more of a positive thing than a negative thing. But I agree with you to an extent that you would prefer the team to be a bit more decisive in games, so we didn't have to go to the wire all the time because eventually your your luck will run out. Or not your luck. I mean, that, that, that's the wrong phrase, of course. If I've just said that, you know, <laughs> scoring those late goals is not down to luck to all these uh, combinations of character traits. But eventually you just won't be able to do it, I think would be fairer to say. And, and you'll drop points. So, yeah, I mean, there's got to be a bit of focus on, on being a bit more decisive and trying to win games or get on top of games earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I don't know. It, it's one of those moments where you kind of think, this is so... Un, uh, so odd and like you know feels like a movie script that like is something <laughs> meant to happen at the end of this yeah I yeah, don't know I yeah. mean maybe I'm reading too much into it we'll have to wait and see obviously last year against Leicester there was that feeling when we won that game okay mm-hmm. we've done something here this is going to be this is going to be great and then I think after that game uh, it went a bit wrong didn't it? I'm just going to look up the results here but it, you know we didn't capitalize on that that good feeling uh, let me have a look here. Yeah, so February the 14th, we beat Leicester, and then we lost our next two league games against Manchester United and against Swansea. So um, that was... Quickly evaporated. <laughs> yeah, that, that quickly evaporated. So we have to wait and see. Um, the, the proof of the pudding will be in the next few games and and how, how this team can keep going. If they can keep going, obviously there's a Premier League game against Watford next Tuesday and then the trip to Stamford Bridge and those are two games which could well define the season. So let's see. Let's see. Um, well, the good news is we yeah we, we've, we've kept those slim hopes alive. Yeah, with that yeah for sure. All right. Um, anything else for part one before we take a break? No, I don't. I think that's it. I mean, have we still got time? I feel like there was so much in that game. <laughs> Just like we're talking ages. Yeah. Uh, no, let's do. Let's move on and come back for part two. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. So... Um, do you want to go first, or will I go first, or or what? Well, uh, well, I'll go first actually. Okay, I've said that, and I'm thoroughly underprepared, but I right. just wanted to assume responsibility. Like Alexis grabbing the ball in the 98th minute, I'm taking responsibility. This this question's my clipped pananka. Um, my question is, it's basically what we were just talking about. Actually, it's from Tiki Techers, and they say last season we thought the Leicester win would be that moment. Could this finally be? the moment you do feel like things like this will bring a team together you know there's a bit of solidarity and it it really does uh it really does help a team when when they win games late uh, you know i feel like we analyze a game and a team will look at it and go well we just won it was difficult and the odds were against us i mean it looks it looks like a squad that's got a lot of harmony a lot of togetherness in it um but ultimately you know it's going to come down to these to these big games as we've spoken about before um how we perform against the other rivals for for the championship or for the title is going to be the thing and obviously we need Chelsea to drop some points I mean we've got to beat Chelsea I think you know even if we beat Chelsea and they don't drop any points it's still a five point gap um so we've mm. got to try and make it as difficult as possible for them you know it's so difficult to say you can have doubts because of what happened against Everton Everton and Manchester City of course he can but you can also look at the rest of the season and think that okay this is a team that's that's played pretty well and got pretty good results for the most part um we're in second place in the table and I you know going back to what we spoke about um before that maybe Chelsea's run was so unprecedented in terms of how many games in a row that they won I think things would be a lot tighter obviously if if they'd uh, slipped up a couple of times along the way so perception of how we're doing is slightly colored by how well they've been doing and how relentless they've been you know um could it be the moment I don't know. We've had enough of these moments. It's just so hard to say with this team. But I hope that I hope that there's enough character in this side. There's certainly enough quality in this side to to get goals and win games. So if they feel more confident and if this instills some belief in them, then then great. That's the thing about late goals. They're kind of cumulative in a way because mm. I think once you get a couple, it instills a belief. You can get more. I mean, that's what happened at Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson, isn't it? They sort of had that constant belief within the whole stadium almost that they could get those late late goals Mm. and they did it time after time is this the moment probably not in truth because if the if the next few results don't go our way this will begin to feel insignificant it'll just be an anomalous moment of Mm. joy i mean if stanford bridge really is the one that you feel like that could be the moment and i agree with you if we are to win the league which feels like a long shot even now, I think we have to win that game. Yeah. Um, 
just just to tighten the gap, if anything, you know, I think if anything, even a draw leaves us needing a, a significant collapse from Chelsea, and they sure. don't they don't look like they've got that in the locker, especially with Diego Costa now, yeah, back and scoring goals again. Well, I mean, I think the other thing that a win against Chelsea would do is strengthen our belief that we can go to perhaps White Hart Lane and win, and go to mm-hmm. Anfield and win. That if we don't perform at Stamford Bridge, if we go down in familiar fashion, then it's going to be, you know, the, the doubts that people will have, and maybe those doubts will spread themselves throughout the team, that they can't do it in these games. So I think we really need to win that game to have any chance, A, of winning the title, but also uh, believing or having the confidence that we can go away to very to other very difficult grounds and, and, and take the, the points that we need, because we're going to need to take points off these guys um, if we want to win the league. Because you'd look at, the, you'd look at us against the, the so-called lesser lights of the, the league, the mid-table teams, and you'd feel relatively confident that we can get a win, even if we do leave it a bit later than we might like at times. But it's these big games. Those are the ones where the big question marks are about this team and whether or not it's made any progress and and uh, we won't know until we actually play them so so let's see indeed indeed um, o- over to you over, over to me okay this one comes from at Jethro Hardy Jethro underscore Hardy and he says checks continually nonchalant approach to saving fucking penalties uh, please discuss with reference to Wojciech Szczesny and then there's another one uh, from Tom Stebbins uh, on pressure penalty kicks will we ever see a keeper just stand still and casually catch the ball dead centre yeah, a few people sent in questions to those to that effect, asking if maybe the best tactic for Czech would be to simply stand in the middle of the goal, make himself big, and see if he can cover that kind of central area. Um, look, he doesn't fill you with confidence at a penalty kick situation. And it's it's difficult trying to work out why that is. I mean, I feel like a lot of penalties for goalkeepers must be down to preparation, right? I mean, you know that little chart that Sky Sports put up when Alexis is running up? Mm. You imagine... Goalkeepers themselves have spent plenty of time looking at that chart, looking at players' run-ups, looking at you know their record of where they put the ball. That must be a, a big determining factor for them. So, I don't know, maybe Czech's not up to scratch on that front. Or maybe it's an agility issue. Either way, I feel, I feel like every time... I mean, maybe it's cumulative too. Maybe strikers take confidence knowing that this guy doesn't really save many penalties. Yeah. Um, it's not like facing... You know, someone. I mean, David Seaman was pretty decent at, yeah. at stopping uh, spot kicks. Jens Lehmann too. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I maybe you should just stand in the middle of the goal. The problem is, as soon as you did that a couple of times, people would get wind of that, right, and just roll it into yeah. the corner either side. Sure, but isn't there also the thing that if you if a goalkeeper just stands in the middle of the goal, he's not doing anything. He's not trying. I mean, you, you can look at him and say, okay, well, he's, he's guessed that it's going to go down there, but I think people would rather see a goalkeeper dive one way or the other. You know, that's the danger. You get accused of just doing nothing if you just stand there. I mean, you look like an absolute hero if the guy just clips it into your arms. Like, if the, if the Burnley goalkeeper had stood still, Alexis looks like a dickhead. But, you know, he dived yeah. out of the way, and Alexis made the, the decision that that's what he was going to do. Um, so I think that's... It's very difficult for a goalkeeper just to stand still because then you're accused of not making any effort. Um, the other thing I think, you know, would, I think there's a, maybe a bit too much focus on Petr Cech not saving penalties rather than us giving away lots of penalties. And I, I mean, think we are giving away a lot. We are giving away a lot of penalties. One or two have been a, a bit contentious, but 
we have been a bit careless at times. And I think that, for me, is a much bigger issue than Petr Cech not saving a penalty because, ultimately, I think it's the expectation is that a striker will score. That's, you know, the goalkeeper, if he makes a save, he's a hero, obviously. But I think, you know, most of the time, uh, a striker is going to score a penalty. Um, so I, uh, the, the bigger thing for me would be let's stop giving away penalties like idiots. And then we won't have to have this discussion. And eventually mm. he will save one or won't, whatever. But, you know, if, if, we, uh, if we make his life a bit easier by not giving them away in the first place, I think I'd be much happier with that. Yeah, I would be much happier with that too. I mean, the question said with reference to Wojciech Szczesny, I guess uh, Szczesny got a better record on penalties. I actually can't remember really off the top of my head what mm. he was like on spot kicks. Can you? Um, I think he did save a couple. I remember he saved a great one at Liverpool uh, one season. I mean, Czech's very close to saving the penalty yesterday, isn't he? I mean, yeah. He, he goes the wrong way, ultimately. Or he goes away and the spot kicks down the middle. But he gets a hand to it mm. and it's very nearly uh, a very decent save. It's just uh, a bit unfortunate. It what what I would the say, the, the, the keeper perhaps that saved the most penalties for us was Manuel Almunia. Do people want him back? Would you trade off... Everything else that Czech is good at for, uh, you know, for a guy who yeah. can just save penalties? I don't know. Fair point. You know, so Fair I think point. there's probably a little bit too much focus on the goalkeeper here when the wider issue is us uh, conceding all the penalties, so... Yeah, I think mm. that's a good point. Well made. Um, well, let's have another question. This one comes from The Lemming, uh, who's at The Lemming on Twitter. And they say, in hindsight, should we have appealed that ridiculous red card Shaka got against Swansea? Yes, yes, yeah, we should definitely, have. Definitely, right? I think we should have. It's, it's. Um, I've, I've never seen a red card given for that before, and I haven't seen a red card given for that since. And there was a foul yesterday by, I can't remember, Loten, I think, on Alexis, uh, where he stood on the back of his Achilles, which was probably a nastier foul. And he only got mm. a yellow card. In fact, I'm not even sure he got a yellow card for that. I think he might have got a yellow card for for a different foul later in the game. Uh, I think we should have appealed that red card. Uh, I don't know why we didn't. I don't know how anybody who's watched football for any length of time can can justify that as a red card to me. I just don't understand it in any way. It was a trip. It was a cynical foul. It was a yellow card. But that's all it was. So I think, yeah, we did miss a trick there. And perhaps it would have gone some way if the appeal had been successful to uh, dampening down the reputation that, that Jacques has got. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why we didn't. Do you think the club, well, get, would would the if... club get advice, do you think, on that? Like, would, it, would, a, would they have a, you know, a, a referee or an official or somebody to say, yeah, you've got a good case here, make an appeal? I wonder. Well, certainly they have people on the staff, you know, who who would have the qualifications to do that. Mm. I uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, if he had got off on that one, it would be a three-game ban this time round, not a four-game ban. Mm. So there's a, a very tangible benefit to having missed that. I almost felt like when Shaka had that suspension, then I almost felt like Osimega didn't think it was the worst thing. Um, I don't know if it's because we had so many other midfield options or because he felt Shaka was still adapting to the Premier League and that in some way it was kind of a lesson he needed to learn. Mm. Uh, because there was no 
Yeah, I mean, why not appeal? What did the club have to lose, really? Yeah. Um, like, I don't think that so, could have yeah. been dismissed as a frivolous appeal if you appealed that, because you could hold up uh, countless fouls that were similar to that one that were only ever given yellow cards. You could have, th- yeah. there would have been a body of evidence behind you to say, well, look, normally that kind of a foul is a yellow card. So it wouldn't have been deemed a frivolous appeal. But that's an interesting point that you make that maybe Arsene Wenger said, okay, Let's let's take him out of the firing line and let him learn his lesson, uh, you know, um, when it comes to making fouls. But, uh, yeah, he didn't. <laughs> no, sadly not. Uh, but, it, yes, in answer to the question, obviously, it's very frustrating now that we didn't appeal mm. that because it would it would leave us in a slightly better position but this do, time around. Okay, and well, might, go on. might have spared his reputation somewhat. Yeah, too, exactly, you know? exactly. Okay, well, Bees, who is at Bees underscore says... Uh, he wants to know, we've seen Vieira, Cassiani, and others been a bit too naive, a bit raw in their early days. Are people dismissing a very good player too early? And this is obviously in relation to Xhaka. Maybe. I mean, I think one of the things about Xhaka is uh, it's not talked about too much because we live in a, a an era of such crazy spending, but he was a very expensive player. I saw somebody say on Twitter yesterday, and I haven't sort of done the necessary research to qualify it, but that he's the third most expensive central midfielder of all time. Um, Now, you know, I think if you count a number 10 as a central midfielder, that wouldn't be the case, but in terms of like a deep central midfielder. Mm. And I think that that has led, obviously there's been a lot of inflation in transfer market prices, but I think people feel like for that price, maybe you should be getting someone who is close to the finished product, you know, the the full article. And that what we're seeing is that he's a guy who maybe is a, while well, he has still has enormous potential, is a little rough around the edges. Mm. What I would say is that he's still youngish. You know, how old's Granite Shaka? 24? 24, 24 like yeah. Right. So, you know, he's still a few years away from his peak. And I think that still potentially has things to learn. I mean, we're judging him by that criteria, but, you know, we talk about uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Jack Wilshire being immature, and they're they're similar kind of age. I think Wilshire might be the same, in fact. So there is still time for him to improve. I think that the... I think that the maybe the frustration is only that for that money, people think they're getting Mm. someone who maybe doesn't have these flaws in their game. But I... As I said myself, I think it's bound up in how good he's been too and wanting to be able to see him flourish and play week in, week out Mm. and being denied that opportunity by his suspension. Yeah, I mean, Koscielny was 24 when he arrived. And he was a bit mm. raw, wasn't he, in his first uh, in his first season or two? Very, I would you say. Know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, he he got sent off in his debut uh, at Anfield, if you remember, and uh, I think there was another red card that season. You know, he picked up some early um, red cards, and and obviously he had some developing to do. I think the point about the price, I get it, but I don't think that it really stacks up because of the way that the market has been inflated over the last couple of Mm -hmm. years. That £35 million two or three years ago, yes, you're getting the finished article for that. £35 million now, and you're not. That's the reality of the market. And I think that's the reality that people have to come to terms with, that you can't necessarily uh, make assumptions on the price tag anymore. That's that's just the way it goes. I mean, you could you could make the same argument for Mustafi, who I think you know Absolutely. looks a promising player, but is still at twenty four years of age, 
got a lot of, well, not a lot, but a fair bit of developing to do. He's got a lot to learn as a central defender at 24 years of age. There are still things in his game that are far from flawless. And certainly far from if you're holding up £35 million pounds as, the, uh, as the reason why a guy should be this good, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Because the, the market has changed so much, the money has changed so much, particularly for English clubs, that you're now spending far more on players that would have cost you half that or even less a couple of seasons ago. And that's because of the money and, and everything else that's come into the game. So I think we have to throw that out the window to be perfectly honest. How much he cost is irrelevant. Um, and I think some of the, the criticism of him has been has been harsh. That's just my opinion. I think it's been over the top. I think it's been harsh. And I think, uh, I think there probably should be just a little bit more understanding for a guy who is in his first season in English football, who, who does have things to work on in his game. But let's not crucify the guy. He's a really good mm. player who's got a lot of potential and I think if on the training ground they can just iron out these these little flaws that he has in terms of the impetuousness in the in the challenge, just stay on your feet. I mean, you hear that you know from uh, twelve years of age when you're playing football and you're being coached for the first time. You know, stay on your feet, stay on your feet. Everyone loves a sliding tackle; they're great. But you know, the reality is uh, for, for their last ditch um, because you're in the wrong position or you're you're desperately chasing back. Um, so I think hopefully. Hopefully, this will be the thing that really consolidates that in his mind. Um, the coaching staff, I'm sure, will will be working with him as well. Um, but I think you know he 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 doesn't deserve uh, the level of criticism that he's getting. I think that's fair. I definitely think that's fair. And I think you know I was looking at him yesterday for the first sixty minutes and thinking what a terrific addition he has been. I mean, you know, we were talking a few weeks ago about how how desperately Arsenal miss Santi Cazorla and mm. how we haven't got anyone who can pass between the lines in the midfield. And I think he's shown that he can do that. Um, yes, there are areas he needs to improve and most of them most of them are associated with this kind of, you know, disciplinary issue. But I'd rather I'd rather I'd rather have to fix that than learn how to pass the ball, mm. to be honest. Mm. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. You know, it, it, it's it's a relatively easy thing for him to to improve on, isn't it? It's not. Yeah. It's not like a hugely complicated thing. So that's why I think there should be a bit more optimism about what he can do in the future. Mm. Well, look, without him, Antonio uh, Fisitola says, with our central midfield depleted, no Cazorla, no Elneny, and now no Shaka, how confident do you feel with Coquelin and Ramsey in the middle of our midfield? Uh, <laughs> it is what it is. I don't know what we can do other than just get on with it. Um, it hasn't always worked. I'm not sure you could say it's ever really worked the way that we might like our central midfield to work, but who knows? They they might click. I mean, I'd prefer if we had Jack. I'd prefer if we had Elneny back as well, just to give us that bit of variety in terms of selection. But I don't know that we can do anything other than just get on with it. You know, that there aren't really any other options, are there? Mm, uh I mean, I've, there's been a couple of questions saying, do we think uh, Mesut Ozil or Alex Awobi could be dropped into a deeper role? No. I, I don't think that anything like that's realistic. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, I don't think you could put Oxley chamberlain in there as well. Um, 
I did see uh, there was a, a comment on the arses this morning, uh, which is one of my favorite things is when people want a central defender to become our, our new DM. Uh, so there was some, sure, some sure. talk about moving Rob Holding in there. It was like, what? You can't put a rookie central defender in central midfield and expect him to, to perform. You know, uh, Vermalen is not a, a, a DM. Colo Toure is not a DM. Um, so we don't really have any other option other than Coquelin and Ramsey. So while I would be slightly fearful that we might get exposed because of that, perhaps there are other ways that you can offset that in terms of uh, in terms of how you set up the team and uh, what the focus is. I think hopefully having Hector Bellerin back at right back will will help us as well. I think Gabriel's done a pretty good job there to be honest, but I th- in terms of in terms of how we play, in terms of how we attack when you don't have Hector Bellerin bombing down the right-hand side and overlapping, um, mm. it, it makes a difference. And I do think as well, I know we've been banging this drum a little bit too, um, it's time to go back to Alexis Sanchez up front. It's time yeah, now. I think so. Um, I think so. Well, do you, do you say that because Olivier Giroud started a game and didn't score in it? No, not, <laughs> not, not just... Well, no. I, you know, I think it's... I, my hat is off to Giroud's contribution. I just think if you have Bellerin back, if you have Alexis playing up front, if you've got that mobile front four again, it makes you just a much more exciting and a much more difficult team to play against. Uh, and I'm not saying that maybe with, with Alexis up front, it would have been easy peasy against Burnley. I don't think that's the case at all. But I do think that as the, as these games, uh, as these games uh, get closer, I think we need to look at playing our strongest team as much as possible. And I think we're better with Alexis up front this season. And I think if we are to create the momentum and charge that we need to go for the title, I think that's what we should be playing. And I think that as well as that, if that doesn't work, you look at a bench and you go, gee, Lucas Perez, Danny Welbeck, Olivier Giroud, let's fucking just batter them with forwards like mm-hmm. we used to do. Do you remember when we were like dying for goals in the past and, and we'd end up playing with, with Bergkamp, Henri, Will Tord, Canu, you'd Freddie Jumberg, you'd uh, Robert Perez on the pitch and you're thinking, gee, it's just like fucking six forwards. Um, and mm-hmm. we're in a position where we can do that now. So I think the, the, the options there for the manager are, are, are fantastic. I just think he needs to tweak things now to, to get us back to, to playing our best football. And I think Alexis up front is part of that. I agree. I agree. I think the time has come. Uh, I think we'll definitely want to play that way against Chelsea because I think Giroud against uh, three central defenders, mm. I think that'll be a tricky one for him. I think we'll need something with more mobile, you know, more mobility, a bit more unpredictability to give them any problems. So we probably need to start bedding that back, back in. So, mm. yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later, Alexis uh, returned to the middle. As for Coquelin and Ramsey, I think it's basically the only option we have at present and I do think that one thing that probably got overlooked yesterday is that I thought Aaron Ramsey had a pretty decent game yeah um and he seems to be improving in that central midfield area the question is is that because of the partner he's playing alongside mm. can he can he replicate that with Cockland so mm. yeah that would be certainly interesting to observe but there's no choice for now no exactly exactly all right so your turn or my turn I think it's your turn. Okay. Uh, Alan Braun. Uh, Alan Braun wants to know, uh, or he says, the win was great and all, but how good is it to see new corners? And I don't know if you noticed this, but I noticed it during the game, that there was genuine variety to the corners that we took. 
even if short corners drive me a bit bananas sometimes, there was definitely some variety to the way that we were taking corners. Mm. Well, I mean, there was the... Uh, we, we scored from a corner yep. for a start, and that was a fairly straightforward one, right? Yeah. But there were plenty of short corners. Uh, mm. I, I mean, I actually didn't pick up on it until into the second half, but was there variety, or were they tended to be, like, of a pattern? Do, do you remember off the top of your head? I don't really remember off the top of my head, but I know that, you know, there were there were some taken short, there was some that we pretended to take short, there were a couple where we took it short and then passed it back out into midfield, uh, you know, to get mm. a different angle on the cross. It, it felt like this was something that was deliberate rather than sort of free-form jazzing it when it came to corners, you know? Yeah, well, I wonder if that's... I mean, was that inspired by the fact that we were facing Burnley, who have been quite organised defensively mm. on set pieces? We felt we had to produce something a little bit different. I think it's good because, look, we're a side who dominate games, particularly at home. I think we had something like 70% possession yesterday and can often win plenty of corners and probably don't pose enough of a threat from them. So, mm. yeah, I think that's... It's always nice when you see Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, who are accused of being quite jazzy as a team, as you say. Uh, that term, Philippe Leclerc once described to Arsenal, quite sort of relaxed about these organisational things. Yeah. When it feels like they've worked on something specifically, it's always somewhat reassuring, isn't it, to know, oh, there's stuff, there is stuff happening yeah. <laughs> on the training ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, all right. Uh, have you got one? Uh, yeah, let's have a look. What have I got? Uh, Alex Hill says, the consensus is the FA will almost certainly throw the book at Arsene Wenger with a touchline ban of several games likely. To what extent do you think this will have an impact on the team and our performances? It's hard to know. It really is hard mm. to know. Um, it depends what, what the ban is. I mean, is he allowed to have any contact with... With the bench at all, if he's got a touchline ban, is he going to do that like sneaky Mourinho trick of hiding in a you know a basket full of clothes and being wheeled into the dressing room to give a surreptitious uh, team talk? I don't know. I mean, I think I think obviously Steve Bold will know as well as Arsene Wenger what is expected from the players. It's not like yeah. Steve Bold is there going, well, what, what do I do? What have we been doing all week on the training ground? He's been there. Um, so it, it it shouldn't really I guess they would go over various things as well, you know, pre-game that look, if this is the scenario, let's do this, if this is the scenario, let's try this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, you've got to trust in a guy Steve Bold is a hugely experienced coach. He's been the number 2 now for a number of years as well. Uh he he's done it before, I think, when Arsene Wenger got a touchline ban from the Champions League. So it may have some difference, but it shouldn't really be the difference between us winning a game and, and losing a game, I don't think. Um there's there's enough experience on the bench and they would have enough time to plan for various situations and scenarios that it shouldn't really be uh, an excuse, I don't think, if if we lose games while Arsene Wenger is uh, on the sideline. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's difficult to discern, isn't it, exactly how much influence it has. I think, I think, I think that most games will be able to cope without him on the sidelines because he's still involved in the preparation. And to be honest, people always say about his substitutions that they feel a bit pre-planned anyway. Mm. Uh, so I feel like you know most games it should be fine i do think it might affect the team's belief somewhat mm. if you were going into a big match like the chelsea game just having that figurehead there um 
I think is not is is a problem. You know, if he's mm. not, if he's absent, I think it might affect their. I don't know. It's just it's it's uh, it's it's has a symbolic value as much as anything, doesn't it? And I think maybe they don't have the same level of respect for the coaches who would be on the touchline. So yeah. I, it, it troubles me, but I think let's say it's the I don't know. Let's say he misses the next two games, Southampton and Watford. Yeah, I, I think we'll cope. I think we would cope with that. All right. Um, yeah. Mm, okay. Well, here's a question about Southampton and Watford, and it comes from Jack Wild on Facebook, uh, who says, "Should we put out our strongest side against Southampton next week in the FA Cup and rest a few players against Watford with Chelsea coming up a few days later, uh, the, the the following weekend? Um, how, how do you how do you think he's going to go?" So what's he got? You've got Southampton at the weekend, then it's Watford on the Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, and then Chelsea on Saturday. I mean, what Southampton won at the weekend, didn't they? I wonder if Watford might be a game where he rotates. I think he might rotate across both matches. FA Cup, I think he'll continue to take pretty seriously. Um, and when you look at the team, I mean, how much can he rotate if you if i mean the goalkeeper will change for the cup game yeah i think uh um, center halves will probably change i think he'll do do you think so yeah i think he'll do gabriel and, and holding maybe or gabriel and mustafi i think he probably will um Koscielny looked like he had a bit of a problem yesterday so i think if there's any danger of him aggravating that then he'll give him a rest Kieran Gibbs could come in in midfield we don't have any option there's no option but Coquelin and, and Ramsey we, we're going to have to just play them and hope that that nothing happens to either of them in terms of injury or in terms of uh, in terms of suspensions um, I mean if you wanted to protect them you could maybe put Ainsley Maitland Niles in but that would be Quite a big ask yeah, on a young player. It would be. It would be. But and then there is there is room for manoeuvre in the front positions, isn't there? You've got Giroud, Welbeck, hopefully Walcott back. He was in training. So he could be back. Lucas Perez. You know, there is uh there's plenty up front to, to rotate things. Um so I think he will he will rotate more for the cup game against Southampton. It'll be a bit more of a normal team than we'll uh that we'll see against Watford in the league game mm. because I think the the priority as much as he will want to win the cup and I don't think anybody can argue against our cup record the priority has got to be the Premier League so he's going to rotate more for the uh, for the cup game I think what uh, well here's, here's the big question do you think Alexis Sanchez and Meza Ozil <coughs> will play against Southampton no I think they might be on the bench though I don't think they'll be left out of the squad they could well be mm. on the bench um but it depends on their physicality, how they're feeling. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that he will look at the league as something that we just can't afford to slip up in. And Alexis and, and Ozil are too important uh, for the team in that regard. So I, I, I would be surprised if they started against Southampton, but I would also be surprised if they weren't in the squad. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably correct. I'm having a look myself now. I mean, Chelsea play Saturday at Brentford in the Cup, then they play Liverpool away on the Tuesday. So I guess the one thing we have in our favour going into that Chelsea game is that our match is a home match and a and much easier fixture, really, comparatively. That's a massive week for Chelsea, isn't it? Liverpool away and then mm. Arsenal at home at the weekend. But there's also um, um, something going on with Southampton as well. 
that Southampton, if they beat Liverpool in the EFL Cup, I think that means that our Premier League game with them will be postponed because right. they'll be in the EFL Cup final. That game's due to take place on the 25th of February. And Andrew Allen was saying to me this morning that if that is the case, let me just go back to our fixtures here, we could have, because of that, a little bit of a little bit of a mid-season break almost. So we're Between due Bayern to, and Liverpool. Yeah, so we, we're, we play Bayern on the... 15th, 15th, and then I'm assuming um, I'm assuming that the gap there is because of... Is it a, an interlull, or is it just the way that things are set Not up? Sure. Why don't we have... Sure. Uh, maybe it's the FA Cup that's scheduled for that weekend, so... But uh, if the Southampton game is, um, is postponed, then there'll be a bit of a break, so a chance to, to recharge the batteries after... Uh, a difficult period going into the home game against Bayern and everything else. So, um, anyway, we'll see. Mm. Interesting. 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 I think you're probably right about the cup game. I think he probably will rotate, especially when you look at the wealth of attacking options mm. uh, that are there. So, yes, uh, that's, it's going to be a big week. Let's have another question. This one actually comes from Mark Parry on Facebook mm-hmm. and he asks he's not happy about something he says why do Red Action insist on making us look like fucking idiots with <laughs> cringeworthy banners um, I, I think it's I just think it's funny I don't really see it as cringeworthy at all I think it's uh, I think it's really funny I think Alexis loved it if you saw that um, did you see what he did yesterday he took a picture of it with his Adam and Humber Instagram account, posted it to that, then switched over to his Alexis Sanchez official account to like the picture that he obviously posted of the, of the banner. You know, I, I, that's great. I I really think that there are loads of things about uh, football in general, about Arsenal, about things that we do, about things that we don't do. There are loads of things that you could sit down and get really annoyed about. I just don't think that this is one of them. I don't think it's anything other than a bit of fun. People who say, oh, well, this is this is what's going to make him stay. Of course it's not. That's going to have nothing to do with it. It's got literally nothing to do with it. It's a bit of fun for a guy who is a hugely popular player. Everyone knows that he loves his dogs. He talks about his dogs more than he talks about football. And mm. to, to show him a bit of like, look, we get it. You love your dogs. We love you. Here you all are together. Good boys. I I just think it's funny, and I can't understand why anybody would would lose their shit about it. I mean, there's fucking far more important things going on in football, in Arsenal, and in the world to get so outraged about a banner. I just don't. I just don't get it. I I, I must say, actually, I I agree, and I think that I think it's great. It really made me chuckle. I liked seeing it in the stadium. I thought, and I don't think anyone really believes that it's going to convince Alexis no, Sanchez to stay at the club. Uh, it's just a, a bit of fun, and it's a a nice thing for you know for a player who's done some brilliant things this season. Really, it's just a way of showing a bit of gratitude and having a bit of a laugh I think that uh, Red Action do a lot of good stuff and I think this is among it so I personally don't feel embarrassed by it at all I think it's uh, I think it's great I think you know other clubs probably wish they had people 
putting in that sort of effort and being as ingenious to do it. Yeah, look, you know, I think there are more uh, impressive displays in the world of football uh, than an Alexis dog banner. I mean, that's that's not that's not the point either. This is just a bit of fun, and uh, the bottom line is Alexis seemed to really like it. And while it's not going to be the key factor in his decision making as to whether he stays or goes or anything else, you know, you're, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, over the course of a season being the the defining factor there. Um, there really is nothing to get fucking stressed about with this. And also, when Bayern Munich comes to play us, we should do one of those huge crowd displays where we all hold up something and it like, makes the shape of Atom and Humber. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like 60,000 people. Yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be impressive. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, that, that's something for Red Action to work on right now. Yeah, if they're listening, yeah. get on it. All right. Well, look, we're going to leave it there for this week. Uh, we've got FA Cup action at the weekend. Southampton away from home, a difficult place for us to go. We'll touch on that game in the Arscast on Friday. Thank you as ever for listening. Remember if you uh, listen on iTunes, if you want to give us a rating or a review, that would be great. It pushes us uh, up the charts and we need that. We need that in our lives. And uh, mm. we'll, yeah, we'll be back next week, uh, next Monday to go over all the weekend's action and preview the Watford game. So until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.